welcome to the Urban Permaculture Podcast. My name's Heather with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, and I'm so glad that you decided to join me today. On this podcast, I talk about all things permaculture related, um, specifically related to the city, and we talk about homesteading and all things sustainable living. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Make sure, if you haven't yet, check us out on Facebook. We have a page, Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. You can find us on Twitter, at Hogs and Hens. You can also find our website, www.hogsandhensdayton.com. And of course, if you love the show, please make sure to give us a follow and give us a review if you haven't already yet. It really helps the page quite a bit. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. And now it's time for the show. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm so sorry for the late upload this week. We've just had a crazy busy week that ended with me not feeling so well, and I decided to hold off on recording. But I've got some farm updates for you for this week. Uh, This week, we just went out and purchased four brand new fruit trees that we're going to be putting in today. Um, So we purchased those yesterday. So we have uh, four new fruit trees. Two of them are apple and two of them are peach. Uh, We got a Fuji apple and we have a Gala apple. And then we have two different varieties of peach. Um, Super excited about that. Now with apple trees, when you plant them, you do need to have at least two different apple trees on your property in order to have a really good fruit set. Now, some areas you may be able to get away with just having one um, if there is a neighbor with an apple tree nearby or things like that, but I definitely recommend that you always plant two apple trees to have the most success. Now, exceptions to the rule, would be if you have a multi-grafted tree. So with fruit trees, when you purchase them, more often than not, they are grafted. So what that means is they have the rootstock from one plant or the beginnings of one tree. And they then um, attach branches from another tree right at the base, like the soil level, um, to the rootstock of another. And the tree will only grow as tall as the rootstock tells it to grow. So if you're getting a dwarf apple or a reachable apple. Um, Typically, those are on a dwarf or reachable rootstock. It makes it so that the tree doesn't get super huge and allows you to be able to harvest all of the fruit that that tree has to offer. With those, sometimes you can have multiple graft points where they attach branches from multiple kinds of apple. So in those cases, you could have a tree that has one side with Granny Smith apples and another side with maybe some Honeycrisp apples. So the opposite ends of the spectrum on the sweet and the sour side. Um, The nice thing about that is because there are two different varieties of tree growing on the same rootstock, um, a lot of times you don't need to have another tree to pollinate. So if you're dealing with a small space, you can get a multi-grafted tree in order to have pollination within that individual tree. Um, In our case, we've got plenty of room, so we have gotten the first four of our new food forest trees to go in. Um, The peaches, I wish I could tell you the the types off the top of my head that I honestly can't remember. Um, But they're both, uh, well, all four of them 
are going to get um, about 10 to 15 feet high. So we decided to go with a slightly taller version um, for privacy mostly. And we're going to prune them to try to keep them a little on the smaller side. Um, we're not going to let them get too, too crazy um, to encourage them to, you know, remain fairly reachable with a small ladder. Um, Bob is, over, is about six foot tall, so he can reach pretty high as it is. So we're just going to keep those trimmed up really well. And if they get a little bit taller than that, we can use a ladder and I'm not too worried about that at all. Um, so last night we went through and we worked on some more of our garden planning. Now that we've got our privacy fence on the new lot next door here. Um, and we went through and made sure that we didn't need to make any modifications to the garden plan that we made earlier this year. Um, if you remember, we talked about the most important tool that you can have for your garden is a plan. Well, we refer back to our plan quite frequently. So we went through and sat down last night and talked through our garden plan some and discussed, you know, which of our seed starts that I have now we need to get in the ground today and which ones need to wait a little bit longer to make sure they don't have frost damage and you know, deciding exactly which of the fruit trees were going where. Um, <clears throat> on our on our plan, we had originally just written, you know, written on their apple. So now we're going through and deciding which apple is going in which spot. Um, they're both going to get about the same height. They both have about the same footprint as far as their canopy goes. So it really didn't matter all that much, but we just wanted to make sure that we had a map. Um, because one of the things that we're making a point to do is anything perennial is getting put on a somewhat permanent map of our property. And that serves multiple purposes. First of all, if anything were ever to happen to Bob and I, and we were to pass away, it leaves a book that tells our family exactly what is planted where. That would help them if they choose to live in our house in the future or if they ever decided to sell the house. It leaves something behind for future owners of that house, however that may look, to know exactly what is planted where. So it's important to us to have that. But also as as we get to planting things, there could be times where different uh, vegetation hasn't popped up yet, and it gives us a reminder that, oh yeah, we have asparagus planted in this area, so we need to not plant anything here because it will impact our asparagus, or you know, make sure you don't plant anything there that will affect your asparagus, for example. So it's little things like that. Um, so we worked on that last night, and we're pretty excited about it. We are going to be going today and picking up a truckload of horse manure, and we're going to be picking up at least one truckload of mulch today, hopefully picking up another truckload of mulch tomorrow as well, um, because we're going to slowly start um, building up the soil on the new lot. So because those lots were um, originally residential, there were houses there, when the houses eventually burned or became abandoned and disrepaired, they had basements, and so the and the properties were backfilled with a lot of the debris from the, the demolition of the house into what was once the basement, which means that a lot of our soil over there isn't soiled at all. It's just a little bit of dirt and a lot of bit of rock. Um, so we're entirely having to build up the soil on that over there. In fact, grass doesn't really grow over there even. It's, um, it's some weeds and a few things there, but there's really not much grass that's growing at all. 
We also, we also discussed our water feature that we're going to be putting in over there. We're going to be putting in a pond with a small waterfall, and it's going to be set up as an irrigation system uh, for us. So we were kind of working out some of the logistics of that and um, planning where to run um, the power source for that. It's going to be um, primarily solar and wind powered, so we don't need to run electricity from the house and trench it through the yard over there. Um, but also it, it, you know, it's an eco-friendly option, but setting up, you know, where to, to make that system all have a, a home where the inverters and things are going to be located. So we worked on some of that last night and today is a new day. It is a beautiful sunny day. It's supposed to get into the 60s today, which I'm very much looking forward to. Looking at our 10-day forecast, we do not have any days dropping below the um, upper 30s. So I think we are definitely in a good place to do some planting, and I'm pretty excited about it. In the garden, uh, we have several of our radishes that are doing fantastic. Um, some of our peas have come up. We still have... Uh, two rows of peas that haven't seemed to do anything. So I'm going to go out there today and kind of poke around a little bit and see if I see anything there um, because they definitely should have germinated and popped up by now. I'm thinking that the birds have probably dug around and gotten our pea pods in that, our pea seeds over there, um, possibly because they, there should have been some germination and there's just been zero which is fine. It happens. Um, you know, one of the things that I strive with is, um, you know, honesty and to tell you guys straight out when things don't go as planned, you know, I'll celebrate our successes with you, but I'll also tell you about our failures when those things happen. So, you know, our peas, only half of them are doing great. The other half is a total bust. <laughs> Um, we're going to be getting a bunch of our elderberry clippings are going to start going out. Uh, they've developed roots. They're getting leaves on them. They're looking great. So now that we've got the area fenced, we're going to go ahead and start getting those um, planted to allow for them to really take off and develop a nice deep root system um, or rather as deep as an elderberry can go. They don't typically have a super deep root system. They have a wider root system, but the more time they have in the soil they're going to live in, the better the odds of them <clears throat> thriving is going to be. So we're going to be working on that today, hopefully as well. Um, we do have to work today. Um, Bob and I both work on airplanes as our main occupation. So we have that today. We've got to go to the airport and work on a plane later on this afternoon. And that's going to take up mm, probably about four hours of our afternoon. But, you know, it's a necessary evil if I want to continue to buy all of these fruit trees and plants and things. Um, so today's episode, I wanted to talk uh, primarily about some of the different types of garden. So if you if you watch any of the gardening YouTube shows or listen to any of the gardening podcasts or if you've read any kind of garden books or or reviews or things like that you hear a lot of these different terms thrown around and if you're not super familiar with them you may not know what they mean um, so we're going to start out with container gardening. Now, when you think of container gardening, a lot of people think of like a small little planter box outside of a window. Um, that totally is container gardening. You can think of growing some herbs in jars or bowls or pots inside the windowsill in your kitchen. That's also container gardening. But there's more to container gardening. You can do things like 
growing um, in grow bags. That's a type of container gardening. And uh, grow bags are a woven fabric that are really good for growing things like potatoes. Um, but you can grow all kinds of things in them. And they allow water to flow out so that you don't accidentally drown your plant. Uh, you do need to water them fairly regularly as they do then allow air in, to, which can dry out some of the edges um, of your planting. But it's important to keep them watered and otherwise it's great because you can move them around as needed. Also, a uh, type of container gardening would be stackable gardening. So we use the Mr. Stacky brand here at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, but there's also things like Greenstock, which is another popular brand that you can use. And um, there are a variety of different options. There are planters that, um, so the one we have is the Mr. Stacky and you basically alternate by turning the next layer about mm, 30 to 45 degrees. And then these containers, which will nest when they're not in use, when you turn them, they will then um, stack on top of one another and create a tower. Now, things that I would caution um, with them, I definitely recommend if you're going to put it outside that you put it on rollers. Um, so if you get one of the uh, little round things with uh, casters on the bottom of it, it's got a slight lip on it. Find one that's big enough for your stackable or tower garden. It'll definitely help move them around if you want to rotate them. Uh, not necessary, but definitely helpful. I also recommend running a piece of PVC or a dowel rod down the middle of them if possible to give some stability because once they're full of soil and then water and then plant matter and then fruit or vegetables, it really adds a lot of weight to them and they can crack or tumble. And so it's definitely a good thing to put a rod down the middle just to help stabilize them and keep them you know, where they need to be. You can also use a shoe organizer that is designed for the back of a closet door or a bedroom door. Now, you just take one of those, throw it over your fence, uh, cut little holes in the bottom of the pouches where the shoes are to go, throw your soil in there, and you have a hanging flower arrangement or a hanging or trellising um, planting situation for your garden. This is a great way to make use of vertical space in your garden. So in our case, we have privacy fence all along the fence. If I wanted or needed the extra space, I could absolutely grow some things in those and uh, make additional use of space. This would be a great place to grow strawberries because as they send off runners, they can go into the next layer of shoe um, organizer, etc. Um, again, because it is a container, it doesn't have that moisture retention like things in the ground do. So you're going to need to make sure you keep an eye on the moisture level on there. But it makes it a nice way to take um, some vertical space and really make good use out of it. Another type of um, gardening is one that we use here at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, and that is a lasagna bed. So what we do is we lay a heavy layer of cardboard down on top of just whatever surface we have, whether it be um, soil or dirt or even rocky ground, which is what we're going to be using on our side lot. You put down the cardboard and that's going to kill the weeds. You don't have to pick the grass or pull the grass. You don't have to dig or till or any of that. You literally just put the cardboard down on top of it. Now, it's important that you remove the any plastic tape and any staples if you can. That's just stuff you really don't want in your garden to begin with. And so if you take them off before putting the cardboard down, it saves you the heartache of having to dig it out later. 
From there, we um, pile layers of different things on our um, cardboard to start establishing our fertile soil. Now, there's a lot of different methods you can use for this. We use kind of a a modified hugel culture approach, which we'll talk about hugel culture soon. But with hugel culture, um, with our modified method of lasagna bedding, what we do is we put down on the cardboard a thin layer of mulch. Uh, we only put about two inches of mulch down on the cardboard, and that gives us a nice absorbent layer on the bottom. On top of that, then we put some soil. And um, we can, we'll use um, garden soil or topsoil that we've purchased and sifted to um, just give it some, some dirt, in essence. To that, then we'll add some composted material, um, some, you know, some compost. We'll add worm castings if we've um, got a batch ready. We will throw um, things like that in there. Then on the very top layer, we will mix in, depending on our soil, sometimes a little bit of perlite or vermiculite to just help keep that moisture retention and that loose soil texture if we've got plenty of them. If I don't have that, I don't add it. It's it's not something super urgent to add. Um, occasionally, I will add a sprinkle of sand to my area depending on what I'm planting. So if I'm going to be planting potatoes, for example, or things that like a really loamy soil, carrots, for example, I'll add a little bit of sand in with my soil. And then I plant directly in that material and I top it with a heavy layer of straw. Now, the reason we do this is for us, we find that by putting the mulch on the bottom, it'll slowly break down. It keeps moisture down at the um, root level of the plants and it keeps the, the soil down below nice and loose and crumbly. And there are some things you have to watch out for, though, when using this method. Um, with us putting the mulch on the bottom, we do run into a little bit of um, nitrogen loss. So when you're using fresh wood mulch, mulch which is what we use, um, we use mulch, what's called green mulch, um, and that is mulch that is literally, it was a tree maybe a day or two or three ago, and it's gone through a wood chipper, and now it's got a little bits of, of green leaves still on there and mixed in, and it's just a very fresh, raw, chipped up wood mixture. As such, when you're planting in it, it's going to suck up some of that nitrogen into the wood. As you um, leave your beds lay for a while, they will eventually release that nitrogen back into the soil. But it's important when you're using this method that we use that you um, put a, a mild nitrogen fertilizer, a nitrogen heavy fertilizer onto your beds. Otherwise, you're going to be nitrogen deficient. Now, we didn't realize that was the case initially. And we couldn't figure out what was going on with our plants. But eventually, with a little soil testing, we figured that out. And we found if we use like a compost tea or some like Gardener's Revenge, um, which is where you soak a bunch of weeds that you've pulled into, and just any vegetation really, it doesn't have to be weeds, but it's what I use because it's free and readily available. But I just soak them in a black plastic tote um, with a lot of rainwater in it if I can use rainwater. Otherwise, I'll just use, you know, tap water, but with a lid on it. And I just let it sit in the sun for a couple weeks and it makes a terrible, smelly, god-awful, odored product. However, 
it is super nutrient rich because what happens is it breaks down all those plants and all of the organic matter in those plants kind of liquefies and all the nutrients are released into the water. I take one cup of that and mix that to one gallon of water. So you're really going to dilute it. You're not going to put it on straight or you can burn your plants, but I dilute it. And I use that to water with, and I find that it does great. You can also purchase fertilizers um, from your local garden center or big box store. You want to go with an organic, all-natural um, fertilizer when possible. And you want to go, um, if you're using our style with the mulch on the bottom, then you're going to want to go with something that's a little bit heavier on, um, on the uh, nitrogen. Goodness, I pulled a, I had a, I had a brain moment there. Anyhow, um, so you're going to want to go a little heavy on the, the nitrogen if you're going to use our method, but otherwise a balanced ratio is normally fine. You just don't want to over fertilize your garden. Um, so that is the lasagna method is layering things. We use the straw mulch on the top because we found when we used the wood chip mulch on the top, we really seemed to see our seedlings really struggle to come through the mulch for the things we were direct sowing um, because they were having to move around some pretty large pieces of, of mulch. Now, if you're using a finer chipped mulch, that would work out just fine. And you'll still get a little bit of that nitrogen absorption when the mulch is put on the top, but not nearly as much as when it's buried in the soil. But having that nitrogen, or I'm sorry, having that uh, wood chip mulch in our garden, whether it's on the top or the bottom layer, it definitely helps with our fungal layer. Um, it is a great way for us to develop that fungi in the soil, which is super important and required really for your garden to really thrive. Um, I'm going to talk about the Ruth Stout method. So the Ruth Stout method, method you may have heard about before. Um, that is using a very, very, very thick layer of hay. Um, now Ruth Stout used spoiled hay um, that she had from her animals. And it would be, um, you know, eight inches deep, um, sometimes more. And you plant directly in that hay. Um, benefits of using hay are that it breaks down really quickly. It's small and thin and it's very loose. So it works out really well as a growing media. Um, basically you just grow in that hay and over time it breaks down and you add more hay and eventually you're going to have a garden that's growing entirely in hay. So I would still put down cardboard, um, before you do that or heavy um, thick layers of newspaper to prevent any weed pressure for coming up through there or grasses. But it is a fantastic, fantastic method. The hay does hold the water in really well. You can do it with straw as well. Although straw is more coarse and breaks down slower. Um, so using a straw hay mix is probably best because you want that straw or you want that hay rather to break down to create that organic compound in there and turn into soil. It's basically composting in place. Um, some drawbacks to that method when using hay, you can have a lot of weed seeds that, um, or, or even hay seeds really. Um, but we, you can have some weed seeds that are germinated. And so you have a little bit more of a risk of having weed pressure. And so that can be frustrating. Also, if you get the hay too thick, you can, um, 
you can get into a composting situation where it can develop a heat um, and you may end up having some of your seeds cooked, um, which is no good. So you got to be really careful with that. But the roost off method is very popular um, for gardeners, for growing potatoes especially. Um, as your potato plants start to grow, you just continue to hill them up with more of the hay. And that helps to keep your potatoes covered. Because if potatoes, as we talked about in our Potato Palooza episode, if potatoes get exposed to light, the tubers, it'll make the potatoes turn green and they become toxic and you can't eat them. So using the straw method, it makes it really easy to hill those potatoes and keep those tubers covered. Um, straw bale method. So with a straw bale method, you put your straw bale end to end. Um, so the cut ends of the straw are sticking up and you're going to soak your straw bale with organic fertilizer um, about every other day, um, or, or even every day, um, if you use a smaller amount for a couple of weeks to really get that straw soaking in all of those nutrients. And then when you're ready to plant, you simply use your fingers to kind of wiggle apart a spot in the, in the straw, put a little bit of soil in there to cover up your seeds and then just water it like you normally would. And the plants are actually going to grow in the straw bale in those little nooks and crannies and crevices where you've planted seeds. It allows you to grow, um, you know, 360 degrees on the perimeter of the bale of straw and then also on the top surface. If you do not have good soil or your soil has been contaminated and you don't have the means or methods to clean that contamination up, this is a great way for you to be able to grow. And then at the end of your growing season, it makes a fantastic compost to throw into a compost bin to start working on getting some soil material built up so that you can, um, you know, do more of a traditional bed if you choose. Now, there are several gardeners who exclusively grow in straw bales, and that's totally fine as well. Um, this is a great way to make use of those straw bales inside of a cold frame. You can plant right on the insides of the straw bale when you've got your little glass roof or your roof on top of it to keep them warm in the cool season months when you're trying to get some things started. You can absolutely grow in them year, um, you know, year round if your climate is conducive to that. But otherwise, you can start things out in them in your cold frames and actually germinate seeds in them and get a nice jump start on the season by simply putting them into a circle, planting on the sides that face each other and covering with um, like an old window or a door panel or even a piece of uh, plastic on the top of the of that to create like a roof. You can plant potted plants on the inside of that little cold frame that you've created as well, but you can also grow things on the inside of those straw bales. So that's a great option for you. Um, the back to Eden method is um, a very popular method, which involves wood chips. Um, so you're just going to layer wood chips every year. Um, and again, these are the raw natural wood chips. They haven't been treated. It's not the stuff that you buy in bags at your big box store. It's things that you're going to reach out to an arborist um, or a tree trimming service and and get their, you know, chipped up mulched um you know, uh, branches and, and leaf trimmings and things like that and put them down. And year over year, those those wood chips are going to break down and create fantastic soil beneath. 
Now, some drawbacks to this method are that it takes a lot of time for those those wood chips to break down. So for your first year or two, it's not... Um, it's not the soft, nice, powdery texture below that you see if you've seen the Back to Eden video. Um, but once you get it established, it is pretty self-reliant. It doesn't involve a lot of watering. Uh, much like our lasagna method, you don't have to do a lot of watering because it retains that moisture. And it's got that natural, um, you know, back, that natural organic matter that's going to break down to it. Um, you don't want to use tiny fine shavings like uh, you don't want to use like wood shavings. You want to use parts and pieces that have some size to them mixed with smaller pieces as well. And you need to sprinkle on some compost every year to add more organic matter in. Um, you got to be careful that you don't accidentally end up planting directly in the mulch um, or you'll have some really leggy crops that are struggling to get to the light and they also can't get to the nutrients. So um, that's a method of cardboard, compost, and wood chip mulch on them. And every year for the first several years, you got to spread some compost on. When you dibble a hole in to plant in, you got to make sure you put some soil in the hole to plant your seedlings in. Otherwise, it's just really going to struggle. But this is a fantastic method. Um, and if you find the time, you can find the video back to Eden. Um, it is a, a fantastic growing method. It's a Christian-based um it's a Christian-based, I wouldn't call it a ministry per se, but but it definitely is a Christian-based um, methodology of gardening. And the idea is it is, is as close to back to nature as, um, you know, as it gets. It mimics the natural floor of a forest when you're doing this. So that's another option. Um, raised garden beds are a fantastic option. Um, our beds are not exactly raised. They're only about four inches above the regular soil line, um, but we are adding to them every year little by little. Um, raised beds, though, are fantastic because you get to choose exactly what's in your soil. Um, a lot of people struggle with raised beds because filling them initially can be quite expensive. So there's ways to work around that. And um, my favorite method is putting down cardboard. I always start all of my beds with cardboard because it really helps with that weed pressure and it really allows um, any of the, the weed seeds that are underneath there to also die and rot. Um, so it's important to use cardboard. Now I say cardboard, but you can also use um, you know multiple layers of newspaper. That'd be an easy um, option as well. But then you're going to set your, your raised bed on top of that cardboarded area. Next, you're going to want to put some bigger like logs in there. Um, so think about the size of like your leg or, or even smaller, but you start out with some of those bigger pieces of wood. On top of those, pile some sticks and things like that. If you've got leaf matter, go ahead and put some shredded leaves or leaf mold on there. And then you can start filling it with some kitchen scraps and unfinished compost. And then on top of that, you can put a little bit of topsoil or garden soil, um, mix in some worm casting. You can mix in, again, with the perlite and vermiculite if you'd like, 
which are um, puffed rocks that help with moisture retention as well as with keeping that soil nice and loose and put that in your garden soil and or your garden beds. And instead of having to fill the entire raised container with soil, you've now created a multi-layer um, above raised lasagna bed in essence. And as those logs, um, you know, get, get rained on through the process of that moisture getting trickled down into, you know, the bottom of your raised bed, they're going to absorb a lot of that moisture. And then over time, they'll release that moisture back into the bed. Um, so this is kind of the basis for hugel culture. Hugel culture is another method um, where you're basically going to dig a hole and you're going to throw um, big logs in it and then medium-sized logs and then smaller logs. Again, you can throw, you know, your leaf mold on there, straw, hay, um, unfinished compost, and then you can throw some soil on there. And then I, I like to put some finished compost and some worm castings on the next layer and things. And basically, you're creating a hill um, and you're going to plant in that hill and it really releases the moisture nice and slow into the soil. It makes it so that it basically self-waters. You don't have to do a lot of watering because those logs are going to absorb that moisture and then they're going to release them as needed into the soil around them. And it creates a nice, healthy, organic living soil. So that's a fantastic way to go about it. Hugel culture is a very popular thing in the permaculture world because it creates um, some hill, some swales too. Um, so you can help direct where your rain flow goes by creating some raised hugel culture mounds. Um, so it allows you to, you know, direct that rain flow where you'd like it to go um, without doing a ton of trenching. So if you're not wanting to do the swales and the trenching, um, this is a way for you to direct the rain flow by the way you shape your hugel culture beds. Um, those are kind of some of the main things. There are, are, are loads of different options available. There are aquaponics, which is where you have um, a tank of some sort. It could be a pond. It could be um, an IBC tote. It could be many things, but you have some kind of vessel and you have fish in there. Um, tilapia are probably one of the most common used. But you can also use catfish or bluegill. Um, in there and your fish live in the water below and you feed your fish and the fish poo and the um, undigested fish food so whatever they don't eat whatever sits in the water um, it runs through a filtration system and it waters the plants that are planted above Above it, it trickles through and creates kind of a hydroponic um, setup on the top that's watered with that fish water. Um, so it allows you to have a lot of organic, um, really good water to do a nice um, setup there. And the fish, the fish get the benefit of, um, you know, whatever plant uh, matter gets into the water they can nibble on. And the plants benefit from the fish waste and the leftover fish food. And then depending on what kind of fish you're raising, then you can harvest those fish and um, have a protein source there and put new fish in. Or you can let them grow because fish will only get as big as the container that they are in. When they get to a certain size, though, they get too big um, or there's too many, then it can cause a nutrient buildup. 
Um, there are lots of videos on YouTube for how to get this started, and there are some really cool things. Actually, in my hometown of Salina, Ohio, our, our local food pantry there, um, it's Call Ministries, they have an enormous aquaponics setup in one of the um, areas of their building, and they actually grow tons of leafy greens and lettuces um, hydroponically, or I'm sorry, aquaponically, that they then harvest every week and give to their clients who then get nice, organic, fresh, green, leafy vegetables that are grown right there on site. And then they have the... The last option I'm going to talk about is hydroponics. Now, hydroponics is where you use a water-based system that does not have um, fish or um, aquatic animals living in it. I should mention, I had mentioned before that with aquaponics, um, it's primarily catfish, tilapia, and bluegill, but there are systems that use um, crawfish or crawdads as, as we called them growing up and shrimp. Um, so they, that's another option that's available. It's just less common to use those options. Um, but hydroponics does not involve animals. It is a water-based system that uses liquid fertilizers in the soil, to, or I'm sorry, in the water to then um, grow the plant life. So the plants are, are grown in little plugs is what they're called. Um, oftentimes they're made out of coconut core or cocoa core. Um, it's basically just a little tiny itty bitty basket that's made out of this coconut fiber that just keeps the seed suspended or the plant suspended. And then the bottom just gets uh, moistened either with an, a spray system or it could be a flow system. There's lots of different options with the hydroponics, but the um, the nutrient rich water then just tickles the bottom of the roots and the plants grow and thrive that way with absolutely no soil required. So if you are in a climate where your soil is just not going to be conducive to growing, um, or if you are wanting to grow inside a home, this is an option that is absolutely available and is becoming quite popular. There are tons of DIY videos on YouTube and resources you can search online to find uh, ways to build your own hydroponic system. Or there are also tons of hydroponics systems that you can purchase. Um, Back to the Roots is a company that we love and they have a fantastic hydroponics system excuse me, system that you can purchase. Um, there is a coupon code for $10 off when you spend $30 that is on our website. If you go to the shop with hogs and hens urban farm tab on hogs and hens Um, so you can click on that link and then, um, you'll get $10 off a $30 or more purchase from back to the roots, uh, by using our code. Um, so that is an option that is available. With all of these systems, regardless of what method you choose to garden, the most important thing to bear in mind is to make sure that you are sourcing your materials in a way that is organic when possible, non-genetically modified, non-GMO when possible, and just make sure it's a good quality product. Um, and by that, what I mean, you can absolutely get horse manure um, from lots of different farms at no cost, 
But you have to be careful because if they're not feeding their horses an organic non-GMO diet, then you could be getting horse manure that is laced with pesticides and herbicides that were in the hay that the horse ate. And when the horse eats it, those, those materials don't break down. And so it's passed right into their manure. And you could unknowingly be spreading broad spectrum pesticides right in your garden. So you have to be careful with that. Um, so make sure you know the source of your materials. Also with your fertilizers, you know, there are tons of, of synthetic fertilizers on the market that are less expensive oftentimes than their organic counterparts. But if it's got so many ingredients on the label that you can't even pronounce them, is it really something that you want to ultimately go into your body? That's a question that you need to, to regularly ask yourself. Um, with all of these methods, they, they all have their benefits and their pros and their cons. Honestly, we use almost all of these methods on our farm. We currently do not have aquaponics or hydroponics, um, technically, uh, we do grow watercress in our pond, which is a type of hydroponic, but I don't have a rig that is, you know, sprinkling the roots or circulating it in that regard. I literally just have watercress that I, uh, got at the uh, greenhouse in the city here where I live and just put them right at the edge of the pond and let them do their thing. Um, so I, I didn't do anything special to those, but we do do, um, we do do, <laughs> we do use all of the other methods, um, including our container gardening, the lasagna methods, raised beds, hugel culture. We do all of those things here at the farm. So that's kind of what's going on with us here at Hogs and Hens. Those are the updates. And I also have a huge announcement. I have been asked to be a speaker at the Indiana Homesteading Convention. It's going to be held in October of 2023. Um, it's October 21st and 22nd, I believe. I'd have to look at the calendar. It's either the 21st and 22nd or the 22nd, 23rd. It's a Saturday, Sunday. Um, and I will be leading a breakout session on starting your garden. So I'm pretty excited about that. You will be able to choose from so many breakout sessions. I believe um, the organizer said there's over 40 speakers that are going to be talking. I think she said 43, if I remember right, um, including the one, the only Joel Salatin. So Joel will be there um, as a keynote speaker, and there are tons of other um, speakers that are going to be there. Pork Rind is going to be there, and you know, you'll be able to get to hear me and see me in person if you're interested. Um, you can search for the Indiana Homesteading Convention on your favorite search engine and uh, tickets are available now. Uh, they have a, a big hog roast event that's going on. You can camp there. It's going to be held in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Marion County Fairgrounds. It is over 100 acres of land. It is entirely fenced in. They have a limited amount of RV parking spaces with electricity and water hookups, uh, but those are going to go fast, so you'll want to get those. And there are vendors and crafters that'll be there. There are tons of speakers, and you just don't want to miss out on this event. I am so, so honored to be a part of the event. I'll be giving an hour-long presentation about starting a garden, including some tips and tricks for starting a garden on the dime. Because you know I love to save money and I love to share that information with others. 
Um, there'll be some freebies and giveaways that'll be um, given, I know from myself for sure, um, and possibly others. You'll also get to see Bob because we are going to be setting up a vendor's booth there when I'm not speaking. And we'll be selling some um, herb growing kits for um, growing herbs right in your kitchen that are handmade by Bob and I. We'll also be doing some uh, DIY microgreens kits um, that we'll be selling, as well as a bunch of other handmade homesteading items. So there are tons of vendors and, and things that are going to be there. You do not want to miss out. So check out the Indiana Homesteading Convention online uh, for details. You can also find they have a Facebook page with information about that, and they're continuing to release the names of additional speakers. Um, Harold Thronebro is going to be one of the featured speakers. Rachel Jamison is going to be speaking at the event as well. Um, so definitely check it out if you are in the area. Um, I am in Dayton, Ohio. So for me, it's only about two hours to get there. And even if I weren't speaking, I absolutely would love to go to this event. So I'm very much looking forward to it. So there's that. Um, I also was asked to speak at HerbalCon next year, which will be um, next winter in uh, probably around February. Um, the date is not set in stone yet, but I'll be giving a speech there as well um, about urban permaculture and integrating herbs in your urban permaculture. And then I will also be doing a, um, a workshop here in the Dayton area. Uh, date for that is to be determined. I'm going to be speaking with uh, the uh, woman in charge of that this week to get that scheduled. Um, but I'll be doing an in-person workshop for getting started with urban permaculture right here in the Dayton area. So I've got a lot of speaking engagements that are starting to pop up on the calendar. So I'm getting pretty excited about that. So stay tuned to our social media and our website to um, find out the latest on what's going on and where we'll be. I hope your garden grows beautifully and I hope you have an abundant harvest this season. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great day.